Hi everyone, this is ABC's of Anesthesia. My name is Lahiro. And my name is Kaz. And today we're going to go through something that I get asked a lot about, which is what is the anesthesia training program like? Mm. And, you know, how, how do I get onto anesthetic training? And so I thought what we'd do is just kind of outline, first of all, in this episode, you know, what the ANSCA pathway is, what's the applications like, what's the training like? Um, and then in subsequent episodes, we'd go through all the other stuff like, you know, cover letters, references, interview practice and all that. So try to do all the stuff around applying for jobs and what the job is like. Now, just to rehash the ANSCA pathway, it's uh, two years of general hospital training. So that's after you get your medical degree, you do two years of general hospital training. And this can be up to 12 months of anesthesia ICU, but mostly grounding in general medicine. So, you know, you don't really want to have someone doing too much anesthetics mm-hmm. because really what they're looking for is someone who can do, you know, all of medicine. It's got a bit of a grounding in everything. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, most people would do a quick care year. Yeah. Um, now, Kaz, you know, I think you've got a bit more recent experience of this. Um, the critical care year, what's, what is it like? I think, is it just a Victoria centric thing? So I guess critical care year is generally a uh, PGY three plus year. Um, it's considered a, uh, SRMO year, so senior resident role. Um, I don't think it's a Victoria specific thing. I think it's um, present nationally, but I think in Victoria there is quite a strong emphasis on completing a critical care year prior to being competitive for applying for ANSCA. Yeah, okay. Um, and essentially what this year is, uh, it varies depending on the hospital, but broadly you have rotations in anesthesia, uh, in intensive care and in emergency medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the hospital, you can have additional rotations that may include kind of cardiology, general medicine, and have varying um, amounts of time in the critical care specialties themselves. Yeah, and I I remember when I was going through different hospitals, we almost chose the hospital based on how much anesthesia time they had because (laughs) sometimes you could call it a quick care year and it would have very little anesthetics, maybe six weeks, maybe three months. Exactly, yeah. Um, whereas I think the cricket years are really anesthetically bent, uh, you know, nine, six to nine months of anesthesia yeah. and a bit of ICU. And I guess you're not doing things like trauma and nights and relieving. Yes. Because it's obviously very sought after position. I think there were, for my job, there's probably 200, 300 applicants yeah. uh, for these four positions. So it's always a really competitive job. Yeah. Um, so then, yep, so you do your quick care year generally, so that's as a PGY3, mm-hmm. and then you apply uh, for the anesthetic training program. So that's really just an application form, yeah. CV, cover letter, three referees, and then you're shortlisted for an interview. And then you get on to five years of training. Um, now, because you're, you're in the midst of that training, um, I, I thought, why don't we go through what training is like, like what it, what it involves? Um, so the training for the um, ANSCA program is broadly broken up into basic training, advanced training, and a provisional fellowship year. Mm-hmm. Um, so in basic training, you have year one and year two. And in any time in, um, in those two years, you sit a primary exam, which is a basic sciences exam um, that is a hurdle to progressing into advanced training. Mm-hmm. Um, subsequent to that, you have advanced training, um, at the end of which you sit a fellowship exam, which again, you can sit at any point in your third or fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, again, is a hurdle to progressing into a provisional fellow job. Um, and the provisional fellow positions are generally um, a pre-consultant year, and then they can be general, or often they can be in subspecialty areas that may be of interest to you. Yeah, good. So it's five years of training, you've got your two years of basic, and you've got to pass, I guess, your volume of practice requirements and yes. the, the workplace-based assessments. Yes. Then you, so you pass your exam, get your volume of practice and your WBA sorted. Yeah. Then you move on to advanced training. In that point, you can do your fellowship exam or your final ANSCA exam, which is, you can also do it in your fellowship year, but I think most people try to get it out of the oh, way yeah. uh, more kind of quicker than that. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got to, again, do your volume of practice requirements 
and your final exam and you do your fellowship time. Yes. Okay, good. Um, so, I mean, what, what's it what's it like in terms of – I remember my training years, it just felt like, a, a, you know, it's just a lot of work. You're really immersed in anesthesia. Mm. Um, like, So tell us the day. Like how many hours a week are we doing? How many – I haven't sat down and counted, actually. Um, I think it, again, varies depending on the hospital uh, and depending on which year you are. Um, but generally, a registrar contract is, I think, um, 84, 84-hour fortnight. Or 86. 86, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I think you're required to do 86. That's on contract. But yes. often you'll do overtime. Exactly, yeah. So it's not unusual to do um, in upwards of 90 and in a really bad week, kind of close to 100. But that's rare. You mean a good week? That's the extra training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's the uh, immersion, I think. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, So your experience um, can be broken up into, I guess, clinical anesthesia, um, Mm -hmm. which uh, I guess is a very core part of your training, Mm -hmm. and also pain medicine, which, again, I think is a big component of what you do as a a trainee, Mm -hmm. Um, and also pre-admission clinic, um, which, again, you do a fair bit of, and um, obstetrics cover, which, again, I guess is still clinical anesthesia, but Mm -hmm. um, you kind of uh, provide an epidural service and do a lot of obstetric theater cover, which in some hospitals form a predominant um, part of your training. Yeah. And in some training schemes, you you do a whole year of that. Like, or, yeah. Uh, like, so we, we, in the Victoria, uh, we have the OPATS year, obstetric, peds, anesthetic training year. Yeah. Uh, and that, that way you're essentially, it gives you time to go to the major hospitals. Let's say you went at a hospital with obstetrics or peds. They kind of allocate you to these hospitals that, so you get your peds and obstetric time, which is really, really fascinating, really interesting time. But again, it, like I always remember my obstetric time because it was uh, a lot of really, really busy night shifts. Yes. So what, is it, what do they say? If you're doing trauma or if you're doing obstetrics, that's when you get calls at all hours of the morning. Yes. But it, it is satisfying though. When you're, when you're, when you're called, you know, you're, you're asleep. Let's say it's three in the morning. Yeah. Every part of you wants to be asleep <laughs> at that time. But, you know, you get up, you put the epidural in and generally this patient is really happy that you arrived. Yeah. Obviously, you, you, most of the time. Yeah. Get rid of the pain. Yeah. So it, it is really satisfying. But yeah, those, those, those years were tough. It's actually one of the most, um, I think, rewarding parts of being a trainee because often you do, as a junior trainee, kind of lots of um, urology or scopes where I think mm. you aren't having a, as, as much of an active part in the patient's care. I guess you're keeping them safe and anesthetizing them. Mm. But with obstetrics, um, you we probably spend a lot more time with yeah, patients yeah. in terms of putting the epidurals in and doing seizures, we're the ones yeah. who end up chatting to them for an hour and a half, depending on. Yeah, um, and you're it as well. Yeah, often you're on cover, yeah. and it often most operating happens overnight. Yeah, it's in some hospitals it would seem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that is that's definitely tough. Yeah. Now, interesting when I when I went through so when I was a crit care trainee in my junior years. Yeah. So in your junior years, you're heavily supervised and that's very necessary because, you know, things can go wrong quite quickly. It's great to have a supervisor there. But I, I was amazed at how many really impressive cases I was getting. Mm. Uh, so I was, you know, do, often on days and so not on the evening shifts because I was junior mm. and I'd be getting experience with the big, big cases. And I thought that this was how it was always going to be. Yeah. I didn't, what I didn't realize, and I think this is something to take away when you when you start a training, uh, don't take for granted the amazing array of cases you'll get at the start of training because once you become independent once you especially once you pass your second part exam or your final exam uh, then you know you're pretty much able to work independently in most situations and so you'll be generally doing less of those big cases <laughs> and often you'll be doing you'll now be able to work independently doing service lists and being in yeah. pre-admission clinic on your own 
which is uh, I think in anesthetics that is the stuff that we probably don't like as much as mm. the you know really big cases with all the you know really really difficult physiology yeah pharmacology yeah. manage and when you're trying to balance I guess the physiological derangements and I guess um, you know yeah. a patient who's not optimally prepared for surgery as they are for an elective case um, yeah. and stuff so so there's probably a warning for you when you yeah I should really know <laughs> the last uh, the last three months of it's all it's all downhill from here yeah. it's a, <laughs> Um, now tell, tell us about the, like I did the old curriculum, mm. uh, but you're in the new curriculum, curriculum and it's they're very specific about volume of practice and mm. workplace-based assessments. How are you finding that? Yeah, look, it's, um, it's really interesting. Um, so we have the uh, training profile uh, system. I think it's called TPS, yep. uh, which is an online system that has all your volume of practice requirements in terms of your surgeries, um, your procedures, and kind of exposure. So it really guides um, your training to make sure that you come out as well-rounded as everyone else, that everyone's on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of assessments. There's workplace-based assessments where you get directly observed on doing procedures. You mm-hmm. do mini-CXs, which are quite similar to, I guess, what you do in med school. Um, which are really useful, but I think all these um, and these mini CXs, to be specific, they're the ones where you'll do a whole case by yourself, uh, and then you'll be grilled about that case. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Question on your decisions, and I, I think that's my favorite kind of assessment, really, because that's just like the final exam. Yeah. Um, but you get practice it throughout, whereas we only started getting practice in a final exam when we were studying for our final exam. So yeah. hopefully you're you're being grilled on your final exam content right from the start. Yeah, yeah. And they provide just a great framework for um, feedback and learning as well. Yeah, yeah. I think there's so much to do that it can become a bit tedious and mm-hmm. it becomes a bit of a chore, particularly when you sit in the primary, you focus mm-hmm. everything on passing the challenge yeah, exam. Right. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, for the audience, that like, so it was Kaz's idea to do this podcast, um, uh, but unfortunately he's been studying for this, uh, the part one exam, the basic exam for a, you know, was it over twelve months yeah. thanks to COVID? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's passed, and now he's back on board, ready to ready to hit the ground running <laughs> and, and have a life. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but keep going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's right. So I guess, um, yeah, so great framework for um, kind of your training and stuff. Um, I, I think it's really useful. I think it's a great way to provide, get formalized feedback um, when you do cases with consultants. I think it's a great way to actually get someone to watch you do procedures that. Mm you think you're very competent. And for example, you know, at this point in your second year, you've done so many arterial lines, mm-hmm. um, but it's just one of those things you have to get checked off. And I still learn so much. From, yeah. There's so many subtle things that you can, yeah, you can learn from that. Okay. Exactly. So I, I quite enjoy it. Uh, I'm trying to get all mine signed off before uh, March next year. So it's a bit of a, uh, yeah. bit of a priority at the moment, but <laughs> I, I enjoy it. I think. Yeah. Oh, sounds good. Okay. So we've covered, Training. So training is really comprehensive. You know, you go through your whole curriculum over the five years and you get exposure to a lot of things. But I've got to say that there's certain things that you will really have to try to, you know, manufacture experience for. For example, getting the opportunities to do regional anesthesia Mm -hmm. can be, you know, limited in lots of hospitals. So you've really got to, you know, study it on your own, find people who are interested and, you know, look for the cases that you can learn those techniques in a reasonable way, uh, as well as things like thoracic epidurals. Like, you know, mm. people aren't doing those as much anymore. Um, paravertibles, a lot of people don't. So really, it seems like it's just regional anesthesia, yeah. uh, but also pediatrics, you know, especially yeah. the younger kids. You've got to get enough of those cases and it's just hard to come by. Yeah. So I know a lot of our trainees who are really enthusiastic. They'll, 
you know, they'll want to know about any cases that aren't on the roster, emergency cases that they can come in and just observe even or help out to get that pediatric time. Mm. Yeah. And I think trauma comes down to that as well. You know, I, I think yeah. when you rotate through the different hospitals, you realize how different the case mix actually can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, so you, you obviously, um, you know, had kind of direct trauma experience, but I think there's a lot of trainees who don't specifically have that. Mm. And I think it's really nice that you kind of, you're, ex- you're shaped by the experiences that you have in the hospitals you go to. Yeah. And every time you change, you go somewhere thinking it'll be just the same as your last hospital. And it's <laughs> just a whole different world. And they're yeah, so, right. so different in different ways. I always find that you become an anesthetist in your niche very quickly. So if you're in a trauma hospital, you become a trauma anesthetist. But often they're not doing obstetrics and peds. So mm-hmm. you kind of you know, lose a lot of that experience in that. Yeah. But then if you, you know, if you did work in an obstetrics and peds hospital, it doesn't take too long before you learn those skills because you've got the frameworks and you've got the structures to the you know add on yeah, the foundations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's very different to working in a rural setting. So yeah. Suddenly you're, you've got less resources around and only a couple of theatres and a couple of staff around uh, and lots of uh, lots of challenges because of the, I guess, the remoteness. So yeah. you become a niche. It's then after you've training years uh so basic training advanced training fellowship and we'll do a whole section on fellowship at another stage because it's it's really where you get to explore whatever you're interested in mm-hmm. um and there's different fellowships you can do airway fellowships regional fellowships thoracic and there's plenty of places around the world covid lim- you know covid um <laughs> what, what, what would be the word as long as covid allows it yeah uh that you can go to and finally you, you apply for your consultant jobs but we'll go through that in another section mm-hmm. uh and so a lot of the things that we're going to go into in this is you know stuff that will help juniors who are interested in doing anesthetics so what did you do in your pre-training years so in terms of what you do in your pre-training is really what it comes down to is i think getting good clinical experience because in everything you do before anesthesia it will contribute to your um, ability to deal with scenarios and also it'll be the last time you get to do the, a lot of those rotations mm-hmm. um and i think you know having time in rotations like cardiology respiratory um obviously intensive care but even other ones like endocrinology you know those are just invaluable experiences um that just form such an integral part of what you do as an anesthetist um so i think that's really important and i think also whatever rotation you do um just really doing your best and being really conscientious and hardworking and being very likable because you know all that follows you and they follow you in your references, but also if you stay within a health network, you, that reputation follows you. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people, when they do rotations, they don't enjoy. They kind of mm-hmm. don't turn up on time or don't take it seriously or slack off. Mm-hmm. And they're very surprised when they apply to their specialty training program and they don't get on. Mm-hmm. But but that reputation just really does follow you. Because everyone does talk about these things. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, hospitals and departments are really, really invested in having a good team. I mean... It, it it matters it matters a whole lot who your team is built out of and any one person that may be a bit of a risk or isn't performing well can have staggering implications for, for the department so yeah, yeah no, no one takes it lightly i think people realize how you're going and you know your challenges and how, how you're doing throughout your training and to really kind of address those and do your yeah. best and yeah get along especially getting along i think just being able to work in a team like yes. just realize that everyone's trying to do their best and you know uh, yeah, really appreciating that is useful. Yeah, and I think um, I think everyone's very protective of their department and their specialty. I mm. think they want to make sure it is some. I think particularly anesthesia. Just I think we have a everyone's invested in making sure it's a supportive 
environment. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's when you're applying, it's never about your clinical experience. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're, you kind of um, look over the quick pair of residents now, like, do, do you care how many CVCs are residents done, whether it's five versus three? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Not really, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a lot of the other stuff. Exactly. <laughs> it's, you know, are they going to be reliable? Are mm. they going to ask you for help? And I think are they going to be hardworking and contribute and, you know, not complain when they have to give someone a break or not complain when they get pulled from a exciting vascular case to do scopes because <laughs> the consultant's sick. So um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Actually, that was one of the things I was going to, we were going to go through in the interview, I reckon, mm-hmm. uh, which is if you were the head of a department or you're one of the consultants, what do you want in your exactly. trainee? Yeah. And uh, you hit quite a few of the really important things there. Mm. Um, so what else What else do you want to do in your pre-training years? Yeah, so I think um, getting involved in the department um, in various ways is really important. So this can take the form of being involved in audits, research, mm-hmm. um, and also being involved in, in the department in other ways. So being involved in, I guess, other quality assurance programs, mm-hmm. um, helping out with M&Ms, if that's something that's available to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really becoming someone who wants to contribute. And I think consultants are very good at knowing who's kind of just doing a project to get on the program versus someone who's doing it because they're interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even even if it is just to get on the program, that's still okay. Yeah. At, le- at least you're you, it's you're working hard towards an endpoint. You know. That's true. I, re- I respect the work ethic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember so every rotation I did, there was just something little that I did, and you know, occasionally it will become something bigger, and mm. maybe it will be published or whatever. But there was always something to do. There's always a presentation or a small audit, uh, maybe some small research thing or some kind of project that you could do or whatever it was. I remember there was always something. So you know, at the end of two years or even three years someone who's done something very slowly it mm-hmm. shows compared to someone who's done nothing so it, nothing needs to be big and big projects come out of very small little gains and and small little connections with people so so other than kind of the line in the cv that you get from doing those projects <coughs> what is it that tells you about a candidate when they've done all that stuff or when they want to do that stuff oh i mean it's, it's really just enthusiasm um I, I, I love people that are self-starters. Like there's a lot of things that are very easy to do and we'll probably get this, get to this in the CV, but if something takes a lot of work uh, and, and initiative, I really respect that. For example, you know, paying money to go on a one day course. Yeah. Great. Anyone can do that. Yeah. Uh, paying money to go on a course, then becoming an instructor of that course or making your own course. Mm. That's the next level of interest and enthusiasm and initiative and intelligence. Um, so I think those things really matter to me. Mm-hmm. And also if someone's done something that seems buffed up, it's very easy to tell. Yeah. So I, I, I don't rate that highly either. <laughs> and maybe we've all done that, but you know, I think most people can see through what's real and what's, what's not. Exactly. Um, and, and, and it'll, it becomes really apparent in the interview because there's often a question dedicated to your CV. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you've, fluff something there and you get caught out um, doing the interview, that looks really bad. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and I think the underlying thing with all this stuff is really you want to you wanna stand out in some way. And it doesn't, you don't have to do a PhD, you don't have to be mm-hmm. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I think you just want you to be someone who's unique because realistically mm. everyone applying for these jobs are pretty great. Yeah. Like, like it is the cream of the crop of the residents who apply for these jobs. I think it's, uh, it is the, it's almost a sad thing that, you know, there's maybe a few job places, but you know, quite a few people would do very well in the job. And it's just one of those things that there's just not enough training positions. Yeah. Um, but one of the other things that I remember someone saying was, uh, you know, going through med school and going through your kind of junior years, you're very, I guess, department or clinical focused. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's a whole world outside of this. So, you know, getting involved with things like the, 
the uh, medical boards in the hospital or the AMA or yeah. the ASA or, or, you know, whatever you're interested in, um, having, you know, just an interest in how the hospital runs. Because mm. um, there's lots of it, like there's definitely need for junior staff on various committees. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really, yeah, that's a really easy thing to do and helps you learn how, mm. how things work. I think also something that's um, some sometimes forgotten is, you still need to have a life outside of all this stuff. And I think what we, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Well, no one told me, <laughs> no one told me that <laughs> life is podcasting, yeah. education <laughs> and anesthesia. I, I remember I've heard these stories from like successful candidates for their quick care jobs where half the interview was talking about um, their dog or mm-hmm. the fact that they make beer um, that they brew their own beer and, and, and their standouts, because I think for the interviews, if you think about it, everyone's competent, everyone's good. Yeah. And the next level is, are you reasonable and safe? Yeah. And the next level is, are you like exceptional in some way? Yeah. And that still narrows it down to about 20 people. Yeah, that's right. And then how did, how do you pick three from that? And really you go, well, who's interesting? Who is someone that I can have a conversation with? Who is someone that I think would be supportive of those around me? So I think if you have an interest, um, I still think it plays well yeah. to, to your chances. To continue that. Look, something that we will talk about continuously through this is the fact that the ANSCA attributes of an anesthetist are medical expert, communicator, collaborator, leader and manager, health advocate, scholar and, prof- and professional. I think these are certain things that will come up time and time again when we, when you think about what do you need to do, mm-hmm. uh, like even uh, in the pre-clinic, preclinical years, show on your CV, the way you think about what you want to be at the end of your anesthetic training and, and onwards. I think that's quite useful. So I think that's a pretty good summary. I think, I think you know, so. uh, pretty much we've gone through the ANSCA pathway. You know, you've got your general training, you apply for anesthetics. It's a pretty comprehensive application with CV, cover letter, uh, application form references, and an interview if you get shortlisted. Uh, and then we've gone through what the five years of training would be like. Uh, and yeah, a bit of experience about that. But we'll go through a lot of these things in more detail in upcoming episodes. Thanks very much for listening and watching and uh, this is ABC's Anesthesia. So yeah, please share with anyone who might be interested and we'll see you for the next episode.